So Shlee and Bevy are on the pod today. Big show ahead. We discuss the Super Bowl, our favorite playoff moments, coaching hires, the Brian Flores situation, and did Belichick sabotage the Giants? And a new segment you're going to want to listen to. Let's get right into it. The underachieving Packers. Bevy won Super Bowl during the Rodgers era. How does this early exit sit with you? I mean, two, there are two issues. The overall uh, lack of success over the past 10, 11 years is incredibly frustrating because I think, you know, 2011, 2014, and either 2020 or 2021, I would say those three of those four years, you have to at least make the Super Bowl because you're probably the best team in the league. So yeah. that's uh, incredibly disappointing. This week specifically, or this year specifically, um, yeah, that was just such such a game of comedy of errors of just self-inflicted mistakes left and right that the team really had made all year but gotten away with. Yeah, um, and so, we talked about that on the previous pod, the Shalee and I, where we're like, you know what, it's just going to have to be a weird game for them to lose. And yeah. sure enough, it was a snow game. It got weird. And the Shalee called the special teams blunders that uh, came back to be your Achilles heel. Yeah, I know the Shalee might not be aware of this, but there was an evening in November when the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, they're a Canadian <laughs> football team, they, they happened to win the Grey Cup. And uh, at the same time they were playing, the Packers were playing the Bears, and they had the single worst special teams game I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, I, I said to to my friends that night, I said, like, there's no way this team is winning the Super Bowl with this special team. It's impossible. So very frustrated by that loss and certainly couldn't have found an easier road to the Super Bowl than San Francisco, L.A., Cincinnati. Um, but the Packers had a fatal flaw all season and never addressed it. Yeah. Yeah. And follow up question with a guy like Aaron Rodgers, does head coaching even matter that much? And let me just say this like, you could put almost anybody as head coach of the Packers this year who was a head coach in the NFL, and they're going to get 11, 12, 13 wins, right? Like, at some point, obviously, coaching does matter in special teams and key situations, but. Was Aaron Rodgers the problem? Was coaching the problem? What What's your take on it? Yeah, my take would be the last problem in that building would be Aaron Rodgers. The first problem would be special teams, and then the second problem would be the guy who hires special teams. So, yeah, like, I mean, Rodgers has taken a lot of heat for how he played in that game, and he certainly missed some chances, but the San Francisco scored six points. It was a snowstorm yeah. in minus 20. So, like, I'm not sure what offense is going to go out there and, and roll 30 points in that type of environment. Sure. So, yeah, he should have played better. He could have played better. And I'm sure he's he's upset that he didn't as well. But, you know, when you look at this, the failure of these teams, it's not on Rodgers. It's usually it's it's the defense. It's the defensive coaches. It's the special teams. It's the head coach kicking field goals with Hall of Fame quarterbacks on the goal line. It's, uh, it's a whole bunch of other things that I'd try to fix first. And where does he go from here? Obviously, the writing's on the wall. He's probably not coming back to, to Green Bay, right? I don't know. I, like, I honestly don't know. Like, Denver looks like the logical choice in terms of right. where to go. Um, they're hiring all of Green Bay's coaches. So, I mean, yeah, feel free. They can have them. Uh, Tampa's obviously would be a nice landing spot for him, right? <laughs> yeah, Tampa. I've heard Tennessee is, is an option. Like, the team, honestly, that makes sense is San Francisco. If you actually put a really good quarterback on that team, they'd be, they'd be really, really tough to beat. Um, yeah. But I actually still think odds are he ends up in Green Bay. But isn't t- t- Tennessee is 
yeah, Tennessee's that same thing, though. Like, I think that's the Super Bowl contender with him, him at the helm, somebody to lead. So, yeah, like, San Francisco makes sense, obviously, as well. But, yeah, I like I like the Tennessee move, personally. That's yeah. my thoughts. I mean, yeah, 11 the- sacks in one game, and you lose because your quarterback's so terrible. If you just play an average game, I mean, that Tennessee D-line was, was something fierce. Yeah. only one Super Bowl for KC as well another disappointing year for them and one Super Bowl under Mahomes rookie deal so it's only going to get harder for them to, to build the team going up against the cap we saw that with Seattle and other teams Shalee how disappointing is this for KC you, you got to feel it's it's disappointing my boss he's a massive KC fan and he is a sad sad sap this week at, at work um, thinking that that's all they're going to win as a Jets fan you know it's I would love to win one Super Bowl, but I know that definitely seems seems like a loss. Um, but you just go through the years that uh, they they had this these opportunities. You got 2018, they lose in the conference final, D Ford going offside, so you kind of take yeah. that. That should be a Super Bowl win. They win it the For next sure. year. There, there's your two. Last year, they make it to the Super Bowl. Um, Todd Bowles, Jedi mind tricks uh, Mahomes. He comes up with what seems like a master plan, or just got super lucky. And then we come into this year, they they look like they've finally got it back together again because there was a hangover from that Super Bowl loss. But I definitely think that Cincinnati rope-a-doped them in the second half. They brought in the uh, the Todd Bowles uh, mentality and said, we're going to drop out eight. And you got you got Mahomes who, as as Sam Rothstein, Ace Rothstein from Casino said, it's it's he he sees it as losing money, you know. It's not gaining seven yards. He's losing twenty three. He likes those splash plays. Yeah. He's not that big pump up guy. His big pump up is making those big splash plays. And in the second half, they just wouldn't let it happen. And late in the late in that half, he finally decided, okay, you know what? We're just going to slowly move it down the field. And they did it. And they got into range where you're sitting there going, they're going to win this game. They're going to go to the Super Bowl. But he needed the touchdown late, and he wasn't yeah. willing. He he wasn't willing just to take the dump offs. He wanted the big touchdown throw. He stood back there for an hour, and they end up only getting to kick the field goal, and it loses them the game. So, is it a disappointment? I'm sure for for Chiefs fans, it definitely is. For me, looking at it though, you know, there's there's a couple, a lot of lot of little bits that come together to them not winning these Super Bowls. Hey, the Packers had had Super had had Hall of Fame quarterbacks for 30 years, and they only got two Super Bowls. So. Yeah. You know, it, it is the, what it is there. The problem is all these little things add up over time, though. And, mm-hmm. and it's so hard to get back to the Super Bowl, and it's even more difficult to win. I just I think about Seattle, and they replayed the Seattle-New England Super Bowl because of Brady's retirement, so that was on NFL Network. And I look at, back at that game and think how close we were to two in a row, which, you know, cements everyone's legacy in, in that team. And obviously, the end of the game has been well documented, so we're not going to discuss that. But my point Why is... Why not? No, we're not going there again. It's, <laughs> it's pain. It's too much pain. Yeah. The point is, all these things add up. And, you know, guys this offseason will be thinking about that game and how they didn't... How they blew that lead against Cincinnati and should have been way up at halftime going, you know, going into the second half. And the second guessing begins. So, it's yeah. tough. It's so hard to get back, and we t- we just talked about it with uh, with Bevy and the Packers. I mean, you got Aaron Rodgers for the last decade, 
and you get to one Super Bowl and you win one, it is so difficult to get there and win one. You know, let alone two. And you look to it's like Peyton Manning won one in Indianapolis. Drew Brees won yeah. one. Favre got one. You know, Rogers has one. Mahomes has one. Wilson's got one. Like it's tough to win a Super Bowl. It's it's even harder to win two unless you're, you know, deflating balls and stealing signals and blocking things and getting I was, I was to make to up this, rules on your behalf. Like the tough. This new, this, this new generation has it much easier. They don't have Tom Brady to deal with. So it's uh, they. We might have guys with two now. Joey will get two. And yeah. There you go. True enough. <laughs> you know, we, we didn't get a chance to talk about the Buffalo KC game and how incredible that fourth quarter was. We've we've all seen the huge fourth quarter comebacks, and you know, Debbie and I have seen seen one up close and personal with with Green Bay at Seattle in two thousand and fifteen. That comeback. But the thing about KC and Buffalo was that both teams were going at a hundred percent. You know what I mean? Like both QBs were playing the best that they possibly could down the stretch in the fourth quarter. And I'm not sure I've seen a game like that before where they, it was just unstoppable. And it's too bad that the game had to end. So it brings me to my question, what what should be the overtime fix? Evie? I think they should just line up both field goal kickers and they should both have to kick five <laughs> yards further back until one yes. of them misses. And then that yes. guy gets cut from the league. Uh, no, I just play a fourth quarter. Just make it a fourth quarter where yeah. we get the end of a game that simulates... Um, you know, how exciting the end of that actual fourth quarter was. So you could win by 10, you could win by 20, or we could get, you know, another quarter where it's back and forth and, and really exciting. Yeah, playoffs, I agree with that. Um, whatever the quarter is, 10 minutes, 15, 15 minutes, and just let them play. You're, Shree, you're your both thoughts wrong. on the OT? You're, you're both wrong. It's, it's so blatantly clear what should be done. There's a sport in North America that is the most boring thing on earth and the only thing that it can give back to the world right now, besides arguing over if Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame, is we which go to base... Which he well, should, should be. His head won't fit through the door. It has <laughs> Who, too who's many arguing, steroids. Hold on. Who's that, arguing that he shouldn't be? Anyone arguing he sh- they shouldn't be yeah, shouldn't some, be allowed to speak. Some I'm not even arguing. Fucking writer who, who cares? Who cares? Um, take take baseball, top and bottom of an inning. You you, you each get the same amount of possessions. You go till right. somebody gets stopped. Um, there's this argument. Well, stop them if you if you don't if you don't want them if you don't want them to mm-hmm. to to beat you. It's a game that's been built to benefit the offenses so much that there's no reason that a team both offenses shouldn't get to touch the ball. You play the top of the inning. You play the bottom of the inning. You go back and forth. If it takes 15 innings of back and forth. All the power to you. We're we're here in the playoffs. We want to see an actual winner. So I, I don't even know what that means, Shalee. When you say an inning, or is it? Are you talking about like an untimed possession, like college play? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's top and so, bottom, and we and we don't play a four four of them mini games. You just play the the Chiefs would have gone out with the football. They would have got their offensive possession. Then the Bills would get an offensive possession. You either both score a touchdown. You both kick a field goal. If one of you has more points at the end of that. You're the winner. Yeah. So you're describing CFL football playoffs. Sure. I don't know what what sports that. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, we needed to see Josh Allen get the ball again. Yeah, we did. Yeah. Yeah. There's no there's way two... that, that that game could end without uh, him touching the ball again the way that he was playing. You know, similarly, there's been two two or three Packer playoff games that have ended without Rodgers getting to touch the ball 
and you just go like, this is so, so silly. Why do we do yep. this? Even the Super Bowl, yep. if the Patriots come back, it's just these games could be so much better if we just made the overtime better. And there's so many mm-hmm. solutions. Yeah, needs to happen. And I'm sure it'll happen this year. Okay, these coaches want to get to a Super Bowl. New, a lot of new coaching hires this year. So let's look three years down the road from now. Let's look at these three coaches. Who will have the most success? We got Brian Dayball with the Giants, Josh McDaniels with the Raiders, or newly hired Doug Peterson with the Jaguars. Bevy, you first. Who has the most success out of these three coaches? Oh, this is an incredibly hard question because I don't think any of those guys are going to have a lot of success. Um, but I'm going to actually take Doug Peterson down in Jacksonville. Not to say that he's the best coach out of those three, yeah. um, but he's a guy who's done it before. I know McDaniels had his little stint in, in Denver, um, but he's been a head coach before, and that team still has a ton of draft capital, and I still think out of those three teams, they've got the quarterback that I would want the most for the next three or four years. Yeah, hard to argue that, actually. Uh, I like that he's thinking on that whole – on uh, Peterson – I would want to say uh, Dayball, but I think the Giants are too much of a dumpster fire at the moment. Um, I'd go with McDaniels because I think uh, the the team is the most set and ready to go. They they galvanized over whatever went on last year, and uh, so I think he's going to step into the the best situation and will be able to have the best early success. You said three years. Maybe at the end of that three years, he might be getting close to being fired. But I think he has yeah. an opportunity to make the playoffs a couple of years, maybe for sure. Big day ball guy here. I, I think what he did with Josh Allen early in his career was most remarkable. It'll be a, a huge tell right away whether or not he, he believes in dimes to be his quarterback. I know you know friend of the program, the Hammers, uh, thinks that that uh, dimes is the future. I'm not I'm not so sure that he is, but we'll see what Dayball can do with him. Obviously, he can't he can't play the position like Josh Allen can, but. He is athletic. He, he can run as long as he doesn't trip over the, the 25-yard line again when he's got a for sure <laughs> touchdown. But um, it, that'll be interesting. I think Dayball is a good coach. I'm, I was kind of surprised that he went to the Giants, but uh, I do like him. In a vacuum, he's the guy I would take out of those three for sure. Yeah. 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 I totally agree with that. So another interesting story broke this week with, with Brian Flores. What a wild story, story this is. So Flores is accusing Dolphins owner Stephen Ross of wanting him to tank in order to get the number one overall pick. He alleges Ross offered him 100K for every loss. Now, in in addition to all that, there's text messages that were released between Flores and Belichick indicating that Dayball had the job with the Giants before Flores was interviewed. Now, this is for all the conspiracy theorists out there, and I'm one of them. And Schley, I think you had had a pretty cool take on this. Did Belichick sabotage the Giants on purpose in an attempt to get back at him for the two playoff losses? What's your take? Well, yeah, I think uh, I, I think Bill settled all family business with with that <laughs> final text message. He had already sent McDaniel in to uh, mess with the Colts for Deflategate. Yeah, he's he's effing with the Giants here for the two Super Bowl losses. In that whole thing, the Dolphins are also hurting now because. Flores has come out and been talking trash about what they've done. And it just makes Goodell look horrible as well. So I think all family business has been settled now. Uh, Mo Green took one in the eye and, and we're all done at that point. 
And, and I'll, I'll take this a step further. I think Belichick even sabotaged the Giants with Joe Judge. Like, referring Joe... I'm sure he had to get some type of a recommendation yeah. too, right? Like, oh yeah, here's here's Joe Judge. There you go, Giants. Have fun with him for two years. Oh yeah. Did, did, did he give a reference for Adam Gase to the Jets? No, no, we just did that to ourselves. So, no, that's just... <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have to do anything to us to make bad things happen. <laughs> let, oh, let me add another, another thought in on this. So, how old's Belichick? Like, 70 now? Yep. Yeah, he's 68, I think. Okay, so we're supposed to think that this 70-year-old guy needs his, you know, second set of readers in order to be able to tell which coach he's texting. But he's also the mastermind behind spying yes. on teams and using all sorts of technology to cheat for 20 years. But he can't type. He for sure <laughs> meant to do this. Oh, come on, Debbie. Don't ruin our conspiracy theory, all right? We're having fun going down that rabbit hole. I want to I want to believe that Belichick is uh, sabotaging the Giants. No, no, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing. Oh, I'm, saying, I'm saying he's so good at all these other forms of cheating and technology that there's no way he just made a mistake in that text message. Oh, he yeah. For okay. sure, yeah, yeah. He for sure meant to text the wrong guy on purpose. <laughs> With the... Uh... 17 exclamation points and question marks behind one of them <laughs> one of his statements also he signed oh, it off man. bb as yeah, if he didn't realize great. it was coming from bill belichick like is he even type like is he audio dictating these out what is he doing <laughs> oh yeah so good it's just so good all right let's take a quick break we're going to come back and talk super bowl Super Bowl next weekend, Bengals, Rams. Right now, the Rams are four and a half point favorites. Lines 48 and a half. These two are basically polar opposites with respect to free agent strategy. The Rams all in trading away draft picks for the the win now type players like Stafford and Von Miller. And you got the Bengals on the other side, whose ownership has always been criticized for, for not spending money. So who isn't cheering for the Bengals at this point, right? Joe Burrow and the Bengals? I think we're all in with the Bengals. Debbie? Oh, 100%. The Rams are, to me, maybe the most dislikable team in the league. I don't understand why people like Stafford. I keep seeing these tweets and posts like, oh, Stafford's so likable. Like, I, nothing about that guy no. is likable to me. I, I really don't even think people in LA like like cheering for the Rams or football in general. I, I don't think. But uh, yeah, no. Let's, let's go Bengals. I'm all in on the Bengals here. Shalik, what's your take on the Super Bowl coming up? All in on the Bengals. Um, I, I love that line. I would take them with that line. I might probably even take them straight up um, at this point. Yeah, the, there's a Matt Stafford issue when it comes to their offense. You know, he's going to do something stupid at some point. The Rams defense is really good, better than the Bengals is. But nah, Joey Burr, that's 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 what we got going on right now. That's real. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be like a shaky start, like kind of a low-scoring first quarter, first half. But that'll, that'll play into the Bengals' hands as well, I think. Exactly. Very, they're they're very resilient. So, yeah, yeah. Sure. As long as that Rams public announcer isn't involved in the game oh somehow, I'll be happy. That you know, like that unwatchable. Is, is he not the most obnoxious thing in sports right now? 
that, that that is one of those things you know you you once you hear it you can't unhear it and yeah, i was totally right. oblivious to it until you t- texted it to me and then i couldn't not hear it i know and then well, and then every the, podcast the i listened to this yeah every podcast i listened to this week they brought it up the public address announcer oh, really? at the rams yeah. game how horrible it is i'm just like oh yeah. kidly you totally ruined it for me yeah well, it's the uh, Seahawks game early in the season, I think I think they played there on a Thursday night, and it was like quiet, right? Like the LA fans, they, they don't get mm-hmm. into the game. It's just this guy at every whistle, and just like an obnoxious, obnoxious voice throughout the whole, like leading up to every play, he was talking. I'm like, is this actually even allowed? Can this I guy do this? Was, I think he was trying to explain the rules of football to the fans who were there. <laughs> I think so. Uh, yeah. I'm not totally sure, but that's the sense I got. Yeah. All right, let's uh, let's play a little game called broadcast over unders. We know how the the broadcast loves their talking points, so let's start with the Zach Taylor Sean McVay connection. Is the connection mentioned before or after the ten minute mark in the first quarter? Ready? Well, definitely before because I think that'll probably be the intro that Collinsworth talks about when he rolls in on his chair. <laughs> he'll yeah. be uh, he'll be wearing his Zumba pants and be all fired up for the Bengals. And uh, yeah, I think that'll be talked about before. Yeah, I was Actually, thinking, I was thinking pre, pre, pre-kickoff. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Joe Burrow being an All-State or uh, an Ohio State, Ohio All-State basketball player while in high school. Is this mentioned before the end of the first quarter? Debbie. I think also, yes. I think this is that's the exact type of stat that Collinsworth loves to pull out because you know McVeigh's yeah. going to burn a timeout or Taylor's yeah. going to burn a timeout and they'll cut to, to Bro and they'll be talking about, oh, Stafford was, you know, high school buddies with uh, with a baseball player. And, you know, Joe Burrow wasn't too bad in high school either. <laughs> and then we're off to the races. I, I, th- I think that one could vary a little bit. I think it's going to take until Burrow breaks the pocket one time and goes on a little bit of a run. He makes an athletic move or something like that. Yeah. And it's you got to remember, he's, he's not a, just a football player. This, is, yeah. this guy's an athlete. So you're yeah. not are we sure gonna, when that's going to happen. Are we going to get the sneaky athletic comments for Joe yeah. Burrow? Oh, yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Of course, of course. All right, this one's a little more controversial. Joe Mixon's one-punch knockout of a girl at a campus bar at the University of Oklahoma. Is this mentioned at all? Oh, definitely not. No, it, it, steer away from this. I, does it, it? Is it going to be he's matured from past indiscretions, or is it going to be he punched a girl? They're not going to say on the broadcast that he punched a girl, but they may say that he's matured past his youthful indiscretions. So I think that is an opportunity to be said. Yeah, they might they might tiptoe around it. You're right. Yeah, they might they might tiptoe around it. Okay, last one. Cooper Cup's work work ethic. <laughs> Is this mentioned over one point five times during the game? Did you guys know he is best friends with Matt Stafford? <laughs> they eat they work so together. hard in the offseason <laughs> during practice. They're there at four thirty in the morning. Other receivers, they're not allowed in the building. They're not even allowed to come to practice. It's just Cup and Stafford. Yeah. Does does talking about his route running count in that? Because the route running, I'm saying over four four and a half okay. times. They bring yeah. up his route running. Yeah, you got to remember, Collinsworth loves loves receivers, so it's gonna be there's gonna be a lot of Cup talk. Yeah. Work ethic wrapped in with route running. Yeah, Schley, right. We could see like three point five. Oh, yep. Over 3.5 on that. Definitely. 
Okay, we'll, we'll take a quick. Uh, oh wait, 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 wait! I have one oh. here. I have one. Oh, have you got a... another one? Oh, okay. I got awesome. one for you. Let's go. Over a half a time said a reference to Zach Taylor being a member of the 2007 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. <laughs> he was apparently on the he was apparently on the practice squad. If Berman was on the telecast, he'd bring that up. For sure. Yeah, that, that's a Berman. So I've I've got uh, a nice over under for you guys here. Yeah, over under the number of times they mention Brian Flores on the broadcast. I say oh. zero. Yeah, oh. zero. Okay, I, I, and I also have another one here. Over two and a half times. It is referenced Joe Burrow recommending Jamar Chase to the Bengals on draft day. Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they don't have scouts, so they have to have their quarterback <laughs> <laughs> tell them who to draft. So they, they got lucky there that he played at LSU, who has all, all nation players all over the place for Burrow yeah, to say but- to draft. <laughs> First-hand knowledge of Chase. They just went with, with Joey, Bur- Joey Burr's recommendation. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, we'll take another quick break. And then, Bevy, we got a surprise new segment coming up, which which is just Taylor fit for you. So, perfect. Stick around for this. You got it, Bevy. We're playing maybe a Sir Jeopardy. The height of Aaron Rodgers' likability was this summer with his Jeopardy hosting. So we're going to do a little little Jeopardy rundowns. Perfect. Bevy, $100 question. He is an NFL head coach who loves nothing more than waving his arms in the air to try to get the, <laughs> get the more crowd noise. Oh, Matt LaFleur does it in meaningless spots, does it in the biggest spots. Flaps like he's trying to fly away right out of Lambo. <laughs> Who is Matt? Some correct J- way to reply. He's got some Jason Garrett energy there, Betty, and that can't yeah. be gappy. The he likes he claps a lot as well, even when he's wearing his his mittens. Um, Rogers has taken a lot of subtle jabs at him uh, in oh. the media, talking about how he has the nicest eyebrows. And kind of making fun of his facial hair and his eyebrows and just sort of poking at how groomed he is as a head coach. He's definitely ready for his close-up on that sideline yeah, every Sunday. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I worked a question in here for you as well. Oh, sweet. He was a right fielder who averaged 31 home runs per year from 1991 to 1997. However, he likely gained most notoriety when Frank Costanza grilled George Steinbrenner for trading him from the Yankees. Oh, the Rifleman, Jay Buhner. A beauty. Jay Buhner. <laughs> nice career for Jay. 31 yeah. runs on average for like a seven-year stretch. He was and really in the like, steroid era, so I'm yeah, pretty sure right. that, that he got big. <laughs> Popped out at like 44 home runs in 97, and then he dwindled yep. off. Yep, for sure. Bevy. The magical summer of 2007 in the student sac- section on Maroons Road <laughs> ended with 138 of these by whom? 138 beer cups drank by the Schlee. <laughs> oh, not even. <laughs> I don't know. Oh. 
138 receipt or touchdowns for Milt Stiegel. Is that where we're going here? That's it. That's where we're going. That and, was and a I, magical summer. Oh, it was it was a beautiful time. Yeah, Bevy and I worked together. We it, it it worked out perfectly that year. That he got to within one touchdown, and then the Bombers went on a two game road trip. And we're like, ah, oh, we're not going to get to see it. And they came back, and he hadn't scored a touchdown. And the party got to keep going because we'd gone to three or four games, and it was it was this magical, m- m- fantastic time. And then he scores two touchdowns in the game right in front of us in the student section, which was a mad house at the time. And I'd be remiss not to bring up um, one of our most loyal listeners, Millsy, um, yeah. who who is who is along for the ride. I don't think he watched a single down of football during the whole run up to the touchdown. <laughs> no chance. And I see Millsy uh, down underneath underneath the uh, the stands in the old barn, and yeah. I, I I look over and I'm like Millsy, Mill did it! What a great time this has been! And he looks at me, he's like, Christ, what fun is this? The party's over now! And he was just mad that he didn't, we, everybody wasn't going to be filling the barn to have a good time anymore. So yeah, bomber game, a, Bobby, bomber game, Bobby. What a magical time that was! I, I miss that. I miss that stadium so much. The rum oh, hut, yeah. an actual spot to convene people yeah. chain smoking in the seats, beer cups flying everywhere. It was yeah. it was magical. Hulk Hogan fighting with people and security guards <laughs> ripping shirts on touchdowns. It was it was a special place. Yeah. The drops. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Unreal. All right, last Jeopardy question. Before being known for spitting in the face of authority and pimping knockoff Kool-Aid. This slick fielding switch hitter homered off Dennis Eckersley in the ninth inning of Game 4 in the 1991 ALCS, catapulting the Blue Jays to the AL pennant and their first World Series win. Well, I think we all know this one. Shalee, you, you want it or you want me to take it? I wrote the questions. I definitely know it. Oh, so it's really, well, Robbie Alomar. Yeah. Yes. The McCain Punch. Of course. <laughs> <Robbie Alomar>. <laughs> <laughs> Legend actually had the chance to meet Roberto Alomar in about 2015 in, in no Kelowna. Way. He was uh, working for the Blue Jays at the time and he ate breakfast met right next to me at uh, the Delta Hotel there in downtown Kelowna. It's very nice yeah, taking yeah. pictures with kids, signing autographs. It was very gentlemanly that morning. Was he drinking McCain Punch for breakfast? His eyes were red, but uh, I don't oh, know what he was yeah. drinking. <laughs> There was another question that Kidley didn't put in there, Bevy, but the answer was Wayne Bridge. You can uh, come up with yeah, like, the, 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 the question of what Wayne Bridge would have been. So I I don't know that one. So you would have uh, you would have stumped I, me there. The well, he, he he's a guy who his captain of his team and his nation slept with his wife on him. So there, who, who did that to him? I need more on that story. I think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to circle back to that one. Yeah, uh, we can come back spot. to it another time. We need yeah. more. We need more details. I think definitely. Yeah. yeah. Now, speaking of soccer, we discussed the Canadian men's soccer team on the last pod and how how far behind they were in terms of catching the the Canadian women's national team. So I know you guys were all kinds of fired up on this men's soccer this past week. Are they closing the gap on the women? Actually. I wouldn't say closing the gap on the women. The women are one of the best in the world, but the the Canadian national t- national team are leading Concacaf uh, qualification for the World Cup. They're one of those teams. They're kind of the uh, better than the sum of their parts. Um, they scored a goal against the Americans this week. That was an amazing counterattack. It was so quick. The ball moved so fast, 
and really embarrassed the Americans uh, to, to the point where their coach came out and complained that we were playing on too small of a field and the turf really? wasn't good enough. Just anything to uh, kind of make up for the fact that we were playing with without Alfonso Davies, who got COVID and has myocarditis yeah. right now, playing without him, and we still whooped them. So, yeah, that's it's 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 a it's a fantastic time to like Canadian soccer. It uh, it certainly feels like a seminal moment because in group chats with friends, I have all sorts of friends who are all in on Canadian soccer at this point, men's and women's. If there's a game on. The text chat is fired up that night for a match against Honduras, El Salvador, America. It doesn't matter. It uh, it certainly is a fun time to be a fan. So what do they have to do to to seal their their berth in the World Cup? Are they basically there? Like basically there. Just don't yeah. to show up. You know, don't lose the next four matches. I think it's four yeah. left, maybe three. Yeah. Even in that, we get they can drop a game. They can draw a couple. They're still going to be fine. I think Mexico is the only uh, major team left on the on the schedule. Um, my big thing from the team that I just love to watch is the keeper M- M- Milan Bojan. Um, he's born in Yugoslavia. They emigrated to Canada when he was quite young. He's back playing in um, for Red Star Belgrade in in Serbia. Um, but he wears the long pants. Almost, they almost look like sweatpants. Almost in, like a 90s keeper wearing sweatpants. It's kind of like the uh, rec specs of yeah. soccer. Um, so it's just fantastic to see him out there. And he's just been steady at the back, just um, locking things down. So, yeah, he's my favorite part of the team. We got Alfonso Davies, the best player in the country's history, and will go down as one of the greats ever. But Milan Boyan, love the man. He's, he's just fan- fantastic. No question. Yeah. And, and I've long mocked John Herdman dating back to 2015 when he was the guy who could find the camera at any point in time yeah. uh, at the Women's World Cup and uh, who kind of abandoned our women's team who clearly have gone on to better things without him. But it's hard to argue with the job he's done. I know this is the most talented group of players we've had in a long time, but uh, he seems to be kind of pushing the right buttons and, and getting the most out of this group. So it's... Uh, you know, I have to give him some credit in this as well, even though it's, uh, it is hard for me to do. When was the last time they made the World Cup? 1986, a few months before I was born. Really? Yep. Hey, 86? Con- conceded five in the tournament, scored to zero. Wow. Yep. And this is beautiful well, going into for this World Cup because two World Cups from now we will be a host nation, so we'll get in no matter what. So to get the experience from this nice. World Cup before we're actually a host nation where we get to be in anyways, it's yep. it's fantastic. Yeah, the only disappointment in all of this is that the World Cup is happening in Qatar where mm-hmm. obviously thousands of people are dying building these stadiums and they're using yep. essentially Jesus. slave labor and uh, no one is going to go because it's in Qatar in November. So uh, yep. that is certainly the low end of this, but in terms of the future of Canadian soccer, it's incredibly exciting. Okay, next question, and let's go back to the NFL playoffs. And Shlee, I know you uh, you had a favorite moment from the playoffs this year. So, do you want to talk a bit, little bit about your favorite moment, and then Debbie, I, you can go. I would, I would love to. Um, if anybody follows the, the the podcast Twitter, it was posted there. Um, it's Trent Williams. It was one of the happiest moments of my football watching career ever. Um, as three guys that watch a lot of football, you can sometimes just see the formation and go, something special is about to happen. And while I was watching, I, I saw 
one of the largest men I've ever seen kind of line up in an H-back kind of offline tight end position. I'm like, that looks like Trent Williams, but why would he be standing there? And at that, the ball was snapped and he ran across the formation like Barishnikov with the footwork. It was, it was the most beautiful <laughs> thing I'd ever seen. 300 and some odd pounds moving oh, at, that, yeah. that, at that pace. And at that moment, I was like, he's about to commit a crime. There's a murder about to happen because whoever he's going to run into is going to die. Um, the edge man for the Packers could not have been more fortunate that Trent Williams kind of rubbed off of the tackle and right. didn't hit him square because he probably would have killed him. And it ended in a first down. It was fantastic. I, I giggled and laughed for about 10 minutes. I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get enough of it. I rewound it a bunch of times. I found it on Twitter so that I could watch it over yeah. and over and over again. And the, my, I, I just want to know if there's a pass option from this play and if Trent Williams has just said no to it because he has so much fun running down the line of scrimmage and destroying other other grown men. So yeah, and, it, and even Shanahan's like watching it from the sidelines. He's like, it's scary. I'm not sure yeah. how like this is, even Shanahan admits, he's like, I'm not sure how this is legal, but it's legal, yeah. so we're doing it. And I'm surprised more teams haven't haven't done that with the Because they don't have Trent Williams. I mean, there aren't well, that many. Yeah. I mean, he's, many he's at Trent the end Williams. of his career. Imagine him in the first, first few years with the Redskins doing that. Yeah. Or Jason Peters oh. when he was athletic doing that. Yep. Oh, the it's, it's uh, special. Jesus. You know what was frustrating about that play? So the first time they ran it, it worked. He almost killed Rashad Gary. Rashad Gary just missed them. Um, then they ran it again on a fourth down, and the running back didn't follow where yeah. he went at all, and the Packers yeah. stopped them. And then they ran it again in a key spot against the uh, the Rams, and again the running back mm-hmm. didn't follow the lead block. So yeah, it was one of the more the, perplexing things I've ever seen. You have a freight train I know, destroying right? people in front of you. And I don't know why they're not better on that play. Yeah, this is this is way the, this the is running back would just hang on to the Trent Williams yeah. belt strap and just yeah. follow him along. You know what I mean? Yeah. This is way more technical than we usually get. But I rewatched the second time they ran it against the Packers. They also pulled the offside tackle, so that the the other tackle followed Williams around. Oh, okay. He actually misses his block. And the guy comes underneath him. And I think that's why the running back stayed in the middle of the play is that the edge actually came underneath the other, the other pulling lineman kind of thing. The one, the one in the, uh, the, the Rams game. Yeah. They just stayed in the middle of the field. Like um, Shanahan just outthought himself there. It was just stupid. Like I couldn't understand what he was getting at. Like you've always said all year, Bevy, and you're spot on. Shanahan turns into a pumpkin in the fourth quarter. Yep. And you know he can't help Tart dropping that interception. If he if he picks that off, it's obviously going to be a, a different outcome, I think. But those last two possessions by San Francisco were painful. Not not to get the ball to Debo one over the last two possessions, and who knows, he might have been gassed and shot because they they ran rode that horse all game. But man, that's tough. That's a tough way to go out for San Francisco. That was tough. But I think, you know, talking to a couple of San Francisco fans, I think they felt this year was a bit of, you know, a bit of gravy in terms oh, of how far sure. they got relative to what they expected. And they're hoping yeah. that uh, the young quarterback will be good next year. Bevy, your favorite moment in the playoffs? I know, obviously, a tough one for you, but any uh, anything you liked? You know, honestly, there's almost nothing that stands out because the Packers lost so early yeah. in the playoffs in such a miserable fashion. I would say I did enjoy watching 
that probably my favorite game has been the Cincinnati game against the uh, the Raiders. I just loved mm-hmm. how bad Drew Brees was in the booth during that game. <laughs> so in the in the last two minutes of the game, wasn't he awful? The yeah. Raiders are up against it, like they are up against it, and uh, and Carr forces a ball up the seam to Waller for about I don't know 14, 15 yards to get them down to the 15 yard line on a third and ten. It's an incredibly daring throw. He fits it in. Waller makes a great catch, avoids the big hit. And Drew Brees' commentary. And so Trico's with him. And Trico is trying to sell this so hard because he knows he's got a dead fish in there with him. And and Brees basically <laughs> goes, he goes, unbelievable. Unbelievable yeah. pass. Unbelievable catch by two unbelievable players. And then oh. just lays out. And it was yeah. just like, thanks, Drew. Uh, really, yeah. really appreciate that. So so that one in terms of like the excitement of the play and then the lack of interest coming from the booth, for me, was probably the highlight of the playoffs. And the part where Breeze should have been critical of, of Carr on the last possession where they got it inside the 10 with, I think it was like 38 seconds, clock was ticking, but they got first and goal. And they rush it, up and, and and Carr spikes it and, and yeah. uh, wastes it, may, it down inside it the tank. It may have like, been the next doing? play. Yeah, it may have been even the next play. Yeah. I can't remember if there was another play in between there. And no comment from Breeze at all. He was like, just, I don't know, he's just collecting a paycheck or he's he scared 40, to say something. 40 seconds to run four plays. Like, you do not have to rush this. KC got 50 yards and 13 well, whatever, 40 yards in 13 seconds. Mm-hmm. And for them not to criticize Carr on that, I was like, oh, come on, what are we doing? Yeah, my other favorite play would probably be that lack of squib kick from Buffalo because that was oh, so Jesus. bad. <laughs> so bad. I don't care if Tyreek Hill's back there or he's not back there. You squib, you win. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was horrible. For me, it was the Patriots losing in in a blowout fashion to to the Bills. And, and more importantly, it's the... It's the Patriots fans and the progressions of the of the Patriots fans throughout the playoffs. So they start off with high hopes. Once they get blown out by the Bills, all the Patriots fans turn to, well, you know, it's just probably a, a Tom Brady fan anyway, so go Bucks. And then they start getting loud during the, the Brady comeback. Brady falls short, and then they turn into trucker convoy fans. So I loved it. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> They brought a tear to my eye, the trucker convoy. It's like, oh, all right. <laughs> all right, let's end with uh, Super Bowl winner and MVP. Debbie? Oh, it's going to be the Rams and it's going to be Stafford. And uh, I'm going to throw up. Lines at 48 and a half. So if you want to go somewhere around there, what do you think? Just over, over under 48 and a half? I think under, because I actually think the Bengals yeah. are going to be conservative. I think they're going to have a hard time scoring. I just look at what that Titans yeah. D-line did to them, and, and now you've got Donald and you've got uh, Von yeah. Miller. I think it's going to be a lot of bright lights and a lot of big hits for, for Joe Burr. Schley? Uh, I'm going to take the over, and I'm going to take Cincy and Joey Burr as the uh, MVP of the game. I, I like a, a 27-24. McPherson comes on. Uh, ice water in his veins, and uh, the Mc, no McFarland McPherson. Which what's the yeah McPherson. Yeah, McPherson McPherson. Yeah, I was right on that. Yeah, yeah. 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 He comes on. He 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 Love kicks up, He kicks late. I want to see. That's it. exactly what you you stole it from me. I'm going 27-24 Bengals, 
I was going to say the same thing. McPherson kicks the last second field goal to win it, and but he gets snubbed on the MVP for Jamar Chase. So going oh. Bengals 27-24. Jamar Chase right now at 23-1 to to win MVP. So parlay that with the Bengals win and uh, maybe another prop and you have yourself a nice payday. Let me, let me ask you though, Kidley, on that one. How does Chase win an MVP without it going to Burrow? Yeah, <laughs> if, if Chase, like, you know, two touchdowns, makes a miraculous catch, something like that. Like, we almost yeah. need, like, an end-around run for a touchdown, like, you know, in my opinion, because it's just all of his stats, they'll just look to Joey Burrow for True. it. Oh, he was yeah, incredible. Was... It That frustrates me so much when that happens, but... I'm just playing the odds, baby. I, I hear you, because even Cup's yeah. the same way, right? Like, if Cup gets yeah. 150 yards and two touchdowns and the Rams win, they'll probably give it to Stafford. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Go Bengals. Go Bengals. Boys, go Bengals. This was a this was a lot of fun. Let's let's do the next one in person in the studio. Um till next time. Thanks, fellas. Talk to you guys. Thanks, later. Goodly.